0: you god's word uh lance thanks for the alley oop, brother i appreciate that was a good one it was a good one (laughs) Um, if you would turn with me to isaiah 55 and as you're turning i'm just going to give you uh just two announcements we two announcements of many um one if you have a uh our our pcc kids nursery uh, so babies and walkers uh is open so if you're baby or walker i'll let you define uh that for yourself uh, but Lance not you um, if, if you want to take him or her downstairs uh, there, are, there are people there ready to love on your baby um, and take care of them so that you could um, focus let's be real uh, on uh, God's Word and the movement of the gospel in your own heart this morning and so but uh, feel free to keep them here but just know that's available and we'll continue to uh, kind of ramp that up to the best that we can if uh, you're stirred and you want to be a part of serving down there, um, feel free to let someone know. Uh, if someone who looks like they uh, know what they're talking about, just go to them and say, "Hey, where can I sign up?" Um, the second thing is uh, women's lunch right after uh, the gathering today. Uh, it's awesome, or you guys did some awesome decorating skills over there skills that I don't have. So nice work to you and your, the team of many. Um, and then uh, third. There, uh, we, we have this burden in our community um, to partner with the Neighborhood Center to take care of those in need during this Christmas time. The Neighborhood Center is a food pantry, a clothing pantry, and just an all-around holistic uh, taking care of one another center. And, and, but what we wanted to do this, this Christmas season is provide that through the church as well. See, because the neighborhood center can only reach so far and those people in marshall county is all they can reach and and what we've been placed with in this burden in us is to help those what about those who didn't sign up what about the, what about those of you here in our pcc family who need help this christmas season to provide food to provide gifts for your children and we just started to be broken over the fact that let us not overlook taking care of one another it is a direct command of the Bible so if that's you and this is the best way that I can put this if you are in need this Christmas season give us the greatest joy that we could possibly have in our lives to help you that means make it aware because we can't take care of what we're unaware of (laughs) so the first step in that is to be like "Uh, yeah that's me I need help the second step of that is letting us in helping us Know where we can help. And I'm telling you what, it's been awesome to see those of you who've been like, hey, I've been blessed beyond measure. I want to help someone. I'll help. I'll I'll help provide a meal. I'll help provide presents for kiddos. I'll help provide presents for mom and dad. I'll help. The last thing we want you to do is feel shame that you can't provide this Christmas season, especially in the season that we're in right now. And so if that's you, if you look in your announcement, uh, like the program, there's an announcement sheet. Grab one. uh, Take it home with you text that number you can text it I won't yell at you for being on your phone right now if you're in need or if you have been blessed and want to help someone in need text that number man it's there's nothing greater uh, than for us to be able to help one another as the church listen as the church as a capital C I think we have failed in this area and it's time that we own that and we step up and take care of one another amen okay so there's that the second thing is um, Uh, And speaking of caring for needs, the the crossing is an organization that we partner with continually and and there are creative ways in which we can step up and come alongside. And I'm pointing over here because Nate Judd is directly affiliated with the crossing. Um, And there are many ways that we can help out in the crossing, be it monetary donations, be it food during their celebration gathering. Right, Judd? Um, And many opportunities. And so if you would, after service, would you just post up at the connect desk? And, and if you're interested in helping, uh, they, there's some new students there who don't have sweatshirts, and so they feel out of the loop. They feel like they don't belong because, because everyone else has sweatshirts, right? And then here they are, and they don't have this, and now they don't feel like part of the, the family that the crossing is, because it's more than just a school. It's a family. And so if that's you, man, you just want to make a monetary donation above and beyond what you would give to Jesus. Uh, see Judd afterwards. Does that work? Yeah, sweet. All right, Isaiah 55. Man, I'm anxious to get into the uh, little feedback there. Thanks. Uh, let's read the whole chapter. Verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money... On what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy listen listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair give ear and come to me listen that you may live i will make an everlasting covenant with you my faithful love promised to david see i have made him a witness to the peoples a ruler and a commander of the peoples surely you will summon nations you will not you know not and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my, your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into, into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the juniper. Instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? My goodness. That's, a ser- that's sermon number one for the day. Now, sermon number two is going to be lesser than that because it's coming from my mouth. But praise God for his word. See, what we, what we want you to see this morning, what we want you to be revealed by the Holy Spirit's power this morning is that this church, what we are doing this morning is not trying to win you to PCC. My goal this morning is not try to exalt PCC's name, but rather to exalt Christ's name, to exalt Christ's name. My goal this morning is not to make us known, not to make our church famous. It's to make his name known and his name famous. And that's the difference. Arrows are not pointing into us. Arrows are pointing towards him because we make better pointers than the point. And we must understand this, this Advent season, as we go in that we, the prayer of our heart, the prayer of our burden for, for being a part of this church is that we would all see the gospel and that we would all listen to Jesus and do what he says. That we would all listen to Jesus, be discipled by Jesus, and actually obey what he says because his ways are better than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. See, this is what we're sitting in this Advent season. We, we titled the, the sermon, the series, our Advent series is titled The One We Long For. And this year we're focusing on the heart of Christ. And it's in the heart of Christ that this Advent season that we see that God has made himself known. God has clearly made himself known in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know, this Advent season is not about Santa Claus. This Advent season is not about how many presents are under the tree. We don't have a tree up here this year, so I wondered the point. It's out there. This Advent season is not about that new PS5 that you hope to get. Or about that special present you hope to get, or the cozy Christmas lights and the cozy Christmas tree, which I love. I'm like Christmas crazy. The the reality is all of those things will end up in garage sales in two years. But Christ is eternal. The one we long for will never not satisfy you. Every one of us is looking for something. Every one of you here this morning has longings, has hopes, has desires, has has is you're looking to things or someone to give you peace or love or value. And all of these things, even presents under the Christmas tree, are good things. But let's not make good things ultimate things. Only Christ is ultimate. And our hope is that you hear that crystal clear through whoever is standing up here. I don't care if it's me or someone else. They're going to preach the good news of the gospel because the good news of the gospel is all we have. Now, the truth of the gospel is that only Jesus can satisfy us. Only he can fill that longing that you feel, even right here, right now, this morning. Maybe that's you. Maybe you feel incomplete as we looked at Shalom. Maybe you feel like something's missing. Maybe you feel like you, nothing will ever give you what you're looking for. The truth of the gospel is that only Christ can satisfy you. Nothing and no one else can give you what he can give you so how do we capture what are we looking to capture in isaiah 55 this morning what are we looking to pull out is we are declaring that the one we have been longing for is here emmanuel he's finally here just put yourself in the situations of the the israelites and the and god's church and god's people during the silent years over 400 years of asking is he coming is he coming he, the one our Savior Emmanuel is he coming is this you imagine how many times that they went up to someone and asked are you him (laughs) in this Advent season we get to declare and just like last year and next year we get to declare that our Emmanuel is here amen and so maybe you find yourself Relating to Isaiah 55 and I'm going to do some work to pull out Isaiah 55, but before that I want to turn to Jeremiah 2 Because I think what happens is that we get this numbness to the gospel We become so ingrained in hearing the gospel that it's like, yeah, yeah, what else? Or yeah, yeah, tell me more I need need to add to the finished work of Jesus I need to, I need something else But it's the finished work of Jesus that supplies all we need because it's all sufficient So it's why we say Jesus plus nothing equals everything So Jeremiah 2, though, tells us our our drift and our our danger in drifting in this way. If you look at verse 13 with me, that Adam and Eve in the garden did this same thing that we do. We do the same thing as Adam and Eve. We hear God's word over us and we, we get God's breath poured into us. It's God's breath that gives us life. So if you want to reference, it's Genesis 2, verse 7. God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life. And in that it's god's breath that gives us life we don't go anywhere else for our life we stay with god because he is our life because he gives us our life now what happens though is adam and eve began to start thinking what god's holding back on me god's not giving me my life god there there is something more beyond god and namely it's myself My desires, my wants, my needs, my preferences are greater than God's desires, thoughts, and preferences and work and word over my life. And now, the Israelites fell into the same trap. And and we do the same thing. Now, Jeremiah 2.13, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. No, no, here's where, where we've been. I hope your eyes are glancing up at before and after the, the verse 13. Where, where God's word has taken us is God has faithfully brought his people out of the land that he, or to the promised land, to the land that he promised them. The Israelites are now out of captivity from the hands of the Egyptians. They are in the promised land finally, and they get there and everything was great for about two minutes. And then what started happening? They started to think this is, this is pretty good, but there's got to be more, Right? this is pretty good God's provided for us but there's gotta be more and look back at verses 1 and 3 of Jeremiah 2 stay planted in Isaiah 5 I promise you will get there look at verses 1 2 and 3 the word came word of the Lord came to me go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem this is what the Lord says I remember the devotion of your youth how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness through a land not sown Israel was holy to the Lord, set apart to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, all who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, verse 4. You descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel, this is what the Lord says. What fault, verse 5, did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no one travels and no one lives. I brought you into fertile land. And then skip down to verse 8. The priest didn't even ask, where is the Lord? See, what what we see here is we had it so good. What fault, back to verse 5, what fault did your ancestors find in me? Why did you start looking elsewhere for your life? I never stopped giving you your life. I was always faithful to you. It was you that was unfaithful to me. But good thing, the good news of the gospel says that our salvation is not up to us, but up to God. And when we are faithless, he is faithful. And so, so here's, here's God speaking to his people. The reality of this language is that God used water because we can go longer without food than we can without water. And he's saying this, you've replaced me with something, and it's a counterfeit God, and it cannot save you. It can't even provide for you. It cannot even love you. You've created an identity for yourself. You've tried to make, look back at verse 13, you have tried to dig your own cisterns, and they're broken. Because whenever you try to make a name for yourself, it will always be broken. It'll always be cracked. Your backup plan is to rely on you, but you are the problem. So more of you cannot fix you. It must come from outside of you. All right. There's the the beginning. Back to Isaiah 55. God is saying, it's not how I created you to be. You're putting all your hope into something that can never satisfy you. And, and what we see is, is, I never created you to run to a broken sister, and I created you to run to me for your life. I'll abundantly give you your life if you come to me, if you see your need to come to me. Advent, the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us, declares that God has come down to us. We don't work our way up to him. See what i've been as we dive into isaiah 55 what i've been doing with my my emma and luke through this advent season is i haven't we've been walking through daily through the advent story through jesus storybook bible which moms and dads if you want one of those we i think we have two out on the desk right straight out the door take it it's yours i think we have two of them so if you want to be able to read that it's phenomenal and we've been but i've taken two truths of the gospel and just tried to just I'm just going to say this uh, in the nicest way I can, bang it into their heads. (laughs) Two truths, and I want them, and they're just repeating it, and my Emma girls uh, grabbing it, and Luke, uh, we're getting there. But two truths, the gospel is good news about Jesus, right? And God sent Jesus to rescue us. Because if they get the gospel is good news, and they get that we need rescue... Then, there, then there's kindling around that fire to say, well, what do I need rescued from? All right, well, let me tell you. See, I don't want to give them a gospel they don't know they need. I want at an early age to foster an environment and put kindling around a fire in which they see their desperate need for rescue because they know just how much of a broken cistern they try and create for their own lives. And see, so Isaiah 55 comes in here. And Advent declares God's heart is for us. And let's just read the first few lines again. Verses 1 and 2. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And then then verse 11 is usually uh, the, uh, excuse me, verse 8 and 9 are usually the, the verses that we're familiar with in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord and see what happens though is we tend to project as we read God's word what we can get into a trap of doing is projecting our own expectations about who God is onto God we can go into the text projecting who God is onto the text and we can be limited in that and so what we do then instead of fighting to let the Bible surprise us with who God is and what God says about who God is We then limit our view of God by putting onto the text our own thoughts, wants, desires, and views. Now, I'm going to get fancy with you really quickly. There are two words, eisegesis and exegesis. Eisegesis, then, means that you put your thoughts onto the text. You have a preconceived notion of what you want the text to say, and you go to the text looking for it to say it. So, one, here's the Bible... This way, here's my thoughts. I'm putting my thoughts onto the Bible. Exegesis is an attempt to discover the true meaning of the text. And it comes from a Greek word meaning to pull out. Meaning this sits on top of your thoughts, wants, desires, and experiences. One, you change the text. The other, the text changes you here's why this matters in exegesis you start with the bible and the in the verse and the text and you ask what does this mean and then okay i'm going to the bible to figure out what this means and now i'm going to go to the bible to interpret the bible and it's this trickle effect of letting the bible interpret the bible but exegesis says what do i want the bible to say <laughs> proof texting It's politicians using Bible verses out of context for their own agenda and their own wants and their own selfish desires. And don't think we don't do this. It's, eisegesis starts with our thoughts. We all have desires. We all have thoughts. We even all have, we all have theological camps that we've been ingrained in. And so when you go to the word via eisegesis, you say, what has my traditional theological camp told me? Well, I'm just going to go to the Bible to figure out what that says. I'm going to go to the Bible to figure out just to support what my beliefs are and my wants and my desires, and I'm just going to make this thing all about me. Here's the problem with that. What's the truth of the Bible? Who's it about? Now you. Sunday school answer says, And so here, here we are. Is you can then, with eisegesis, you can justify anything. You can justify anything. One is you changing the intent of Scripture. The other is Scripture changing you. So why, It's why we preach exegetically here. Now you just learned three fancy words today. It's why we preach exegetically here. We're going to walk through and figure out what God is really saying based on what God has said and will do. Oh, well, my desires and my wants and my opinions being put onto the text god's ways are better than my ways his thoughts are higher than my thoughts we can actually say that but not actually believe that and now here's what happens though here's what happens we tend to go to this passage verses eight and nine when life is hard or when life is hard for someone else and we say, we tend to say well God's thoughts aren't my thoughts and his ways aren't my ways. Sorry, brother. Sorry, sister. And, and it's missing the entire thrust of the text. It's missing the entire... I'm not saying that's not there. It's there. It's definitely there. But what I am saying, I'm, I'm, what I want us to see this morning is that God is so much bigger than the box we put him in. Amen? He's so much bigger and so much more glorious and so much more grand than our limited minds could even possibly comprehend. It's the whole point of this text. His compassion is so much greater. His mercy is larger. His love for you is grander. Don't limit it based on your own personal experiences. It's what the Bible is telling us. The thrust of this passage is not that God is, although it's there, that he's working everything out and he's meticulously involved in everything in ways that we can't comprehend. Don't miss that. It's there. But there's a difference between believing that and actually living, letting that word change you. See, there's a difference between external motivation and internal motivation, External motivation is what I say to Luke sometimes. You do that again and you're going to get it. <laughs> you're going to be put in timeout. All right, you're going to get there's going to be a consequence. That's fleshly words by the way. That's very much so. <laughs> but it's externally motivated. Oh man, I better not do this because my dad said. Instead of internal motivation, disciples of Jesus are internally motivated to follow Jesus. You aren't just following God because he says to or someone else tells you to. You're actually following him. A follower of Christ does not say, oh, I have to spend time in God's word. A follower of Christ says, oh, I get to spend time in God's word because I want to know his thoughts and I want to know his ways. And I want to know his heart because he's my dad. It's external and internal. One drives you. One is, there, we can either put fear in you or we can actually let Jesus change you. <laughs> By exalting him. And the Christian actually really wants to read God's word because as the psalmist says in Psalm 119, verse 103, it's honey to our lips. It becomes sweet. It actually is our life. It's our, it's our very being. Christian actually wants to spend time in God's word because it's, it's, daily, it's more than daily bread for you. You desire, why? Because you desire God, and you desire communion with God. This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it means, and what does it have to do, what what am I saying, what does what I'm saying have to do with Advent this season? Well, I would argue as we begin to unpack quickly Isaiah 55, that God wants us to know that he's bigger than we think. He's bigger than we can understand. He's better than we think. And full of more grace, mercy, and compassion than our limited minds can possibly comprehend. <laughs> the first part of this passage tells us what to do and the second part tells us why. Notice this line of reasoning. Look at verses 1 and 2. Come to me, all who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come by and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. God calls us to seek him. God tells us to come to him. To call on him and look he even invites look at this this is he even invites in verse 7 let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts let them turn to the lord and and what will happen he even invites the wicked to come to him now that wicked in the hebrew literally means the guilty or those with lacking those with longing those who have an unmet gap in their life well, innocence is what they don't have. <laughs> so they're guilty. You see that line of thinking? And he's saying, let the guilty, let those who have not come to me to have all. Let the wicked forsake their ways. And what will God have on those who come to them without, to come to him without any money or anything in their hands but their need? What will he have on them? We'll continue reading verse 7. And he will have what? Mercy. Some translations say, and he will abundantly pardon. Now what does Advent tell us about the heart of Christ this season? What is God showing us in his word? The reason we are thirsty is because we are wicked. The reason we are thirsty is because we're empty. The reason we are thirsty is because we're not whole. Because wholeness doesn't come apart from him. Shalom cannot possibly happen apart from God because it does not exist apart from God so here we are and what does he do he abundantly pardons he will freely pardon it's not hey I'll do 99% of the pardoning you have 1% that you need to make up so you better work really hard to get it done okay no it's abundantly it's more than it's it's overflowing pardon is available to you to seek God then, in verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely or abundantly pardon. To seek God then is to stop being passive towards God. To seek God is to start being intentional with him, setting highest value on him, removing everything that keeps you from going to him, removing everything that stops you from hearing his word without backtalking, you teenagers. Right? I used to hear that all the time, man. All right, mom and dad, stop back. Yeah, I was known for that. I was witty and cunning too. I got really good at it. My mom's laughing back there. With no back talk. He says it, I'm gonna do it. Why? Because his ways are better than my ways and his thoughts better than my thoughts. That's why. And he loves me. And any invitation of a command that he gives me is for my good and his glory. That's why. If I just would have known that, mom and dad, I probably would have been an okay kid, huh? We we begin to realign ourselves to God and what he wants, he becomes the center. It's an all-of-life realignment. We begin budgeting differently around his name and what he wants and what he desires. We begin living our life differently. We begin saying and doing and and thinking differently. We stop treating him as a religious garnish. (laughs) You know what I mean? And we start treating him like the eternal feast that is never going to stop. He's not just this garnish on the side. Jesus is our life. Time and time again, we find ourselves wandering away from this truth, from the Father, looking for satisfaction anywhere but his embrace and in his word, but returning to God, listen to me, returning to God, however ashamed, he will not turn away from you. Returning to God with true contrition and true remorse, he will not. Look at this. The wicked can even go to him. I would describe myself in a lot of different ways. I don't know if wicked would be one of them. Sinful, evil, but the Bible tells me, so I am. <laughs> I'm wicked. I'm not whole apart from him. And neither are you. See, when we, when we return to God, however disgusted we are with ourselves, he will not tentatively pardon. He will not reservedly pardon, but he will freely or abundantly pardon pardon you may say but I've done this I've said this I have thought this I'm such a mess I'm so evil I'm so broken and on and on and on and God in his abundant pardon of the gospel points you to Jesus and he points to the cross and he says to tell us paid in full I paid for you to come home but notice in verse 8 and 9 8 and 9 for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Let's rephrase this. God knows that even when we go to him, even when we hear of God's abundant pardon and his heart towards us, his compassionate pardon made available to us, we will grab hold of that thought with our own limited view of that pardon and the heart that it came from. Don't, don't miss this. So God goes, "Okay, I'm going to do this for you. I am going to pardon you. But don't misplace my heart in pardoning you. It's way better than you could ever dream." <laughs> it's not reserved. It's not a smug father. No, it's an inviting father. He's willing and able and he's desirous to pardon. This is the this is the scandal. I'm wicked. I'm wicked. Why would he do this? Well, okay, God answers that question. It's a very good question. I'm glad you're answering it, or you're asking it. He answers it. Why? Why would God do this? Well, verse 8 and 9. For my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. He's saying, in light of who I am and what I do and will do, you cannot view him with your old eyes. You must be given new eyes you see that he's saying okay you're gonna come to me as a wicked needy person and you're gonna come to me with an expectation of who i am but you need to know one thing about my heart it's way better than you know it is it's way better than you can even comprehend you need new eyes to see who i really am you see that this is this is the heart of our dad this is so this is all i want to do is just invite you in to see this man because it's so cool He's saying, all right, if you're going to come to me with an an abundant pardon available to you, you are going to come to me with preconceived notions of what it means to abundantly pardon as a father. But you need to know one thing I'm way bigger than what you could ever dream of. I'm way better. This pardon available to you is not a smug pardon. I'm willing and able and actually desirous to do it for you because I'm a good dad. I'm actually the best dad. (laughs) This is, guys, just, so we keep going. And here's what happens we see what happens though is he is saying you have you need to have new eyes but here's what happens we forget that the gospel is so contrary to our own fleshly desires so the B, we've been walking through if you've been with us we've been walking through the beatitudes and what is the beatitudes telling us everything's upside down <laughs> all right to be high is to be low to have power is to die to gain your life is to lose it to be blessed is to be poor in spirit meek and mourning <laughs> Like, like, the world will say, what? <laughs> and Jesus says, no, you're blessed when you're these things. So there's, they rub up against us. And are we willing, are you willing to let God rub up against you? Like, are you willing, church? Am I willing to let Jesus sit there and tell me that I'm wrong? See, we have a problem in the church. We have a problem, especially in the Church of America. We American Christians can't just tweak our American ways and our American thoughts. Sorry. The prevailing way in the American church is that we join a certain church because it won't challenge our selfish lifestyle. (laughs) It won't. And we think that this is Christianity is being nice and harmless and church-going people with no repentance, no submission, no forsaking of self, no dying to personal preferences, no pursuit of Christ, and no displaying of Christ. And all that is packaged into a Sunday morning that's catered to your every need. <laughs> see, the, the, no, what the church in America needs is an explosion of gospel renewal. What the church in America, what we need here is new eyes to see God with new ways to actually let God tell us who he is. Our view of God must change. 2 Corinthians 5.17, quickly with me. therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old has gone the new is here your old way of viewing God is gone Your old way of living is gone. Your old way of thinking is gone. Your old desires are gone. Your old motives are gone. You are new. You are brand new. God isn't calling us to tweak something here or there, but to a complete overall overhaul of our view of him. You may may even be sitting here saying, but Derek, I've studied him all my life. I know the fancy theological terms to describe his characteristics, all the omnis that are out there. And I would say, you know what God says to that? There's more of me. There's more. And here's what happens when we begin, back to Isaiah 55. Here's what begins to happen. Verses 8 and 9 tell us what begins to happen. How would you feel if your toddler then, if you give your toddler a birthday present, and, or a Christmas present and they immediately unpack it, say thank you and run to the room to grab their piggy bank to go pay you back as a mom or a dad. How would that make you feel? It would... If my Luke or my Emma tried to pay me back for the gift that I so freely give them, it would melt me. It would break me. God is saying here, our view of Him needs to change. It's not just a little bit off. It's, an, it's entirely off. And, and how off? Well, he good. I'm glad you're asking again. How, how far off? Well, let's go. Verse 9. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Do you want to know how far off your view of God is? As it's the Hebrew way of saying, as the heavens are higher than the earth. <laughs> That's how far. It's in, it's in a Hebrew way of saying infinite. Your ways and your, my love for you, my compassion for you, my thoughts about you. And my plans and my events that I do are so far beyond you, you can't even begin to comprehend it. How far? Well, good. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. Infinitely higher. And the only other time that that word, that specific word, is, uh, is used is in so- the Psalms. And what we, what we see is in Psalm 103, verse 11. You turn there if you'd like. I always encourage you to. 103 verse 11 we read this for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is his love for those who fear him the two passages then complement one another God's ways and thoughts are not our thoughts and and his thoughts of love and ways of compassion stretch beyond a degree beyond our mental comprehension and this is what we must see then in Isaiah back to Isaiah 55 unless you go on a rabbit trail Psalm 103 fine with me this is what we must see the chasm that exists between God's ways and man's ways are so great and so infinite that it would take an infinitely powerful being to bridge them it would take one who created something from nothing It would take one who holds the entire cosmos in his hands. It would take one in whom all things have been created through and for. It would actually take one who is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. It would actually take one who says it, and it is. (laughs) It would actually take. This chasm is so far between who God is and who we are that it would take one who can take a leper and make him clean. It would actually take one who can open up deaf ears and opened up blind eyes. That the chasm is so big it is so far that it takes an infinitely powerful being who has all the power in the universe to bridge the gap that exists between us and God because his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. Now do you see how Advent season comes in and explodes this? Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. We need a new view of God. We need, we limit our view. Our view is limited of who he is. So we need help. God is saying we can't view his ways and his thoughts and his compassion with old eyes. We must look to the one who bridged the gap for us. In Philippians 2 verse 6. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. In every tongue acknowledge that Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. We need one who can come and undo what's been broken by our sin. We need one who can come and make us whole because we're so empty and longing for something more. We need one who could bridge the chasm that exists between a holy God and a wicked humanity. And his name is Emmanuel. Jesus came to do what we never could do. See, this is why we're Christ-centered, gospel-driven here. Just FYI. This is why we're unashamed in being gospel-driven, Christ-centered here. Because the entire Bible is Christ-centered, gospel-driven. The entire Bible is motivated by God's glory and his love. Because glory and love go hand in hand. See, look at Isaiah 55 as I begin to just lay in this plane, I promise you. I say that a lot, but I'm going to get there. Right, Josh? Yeah. Isaiah 55, verse 11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent out. And I, I need you to hear this. I need you to hear this. In an age in which we exalt the eloquent communicator, in the age of celebrity pastorates, you need to hear this. I don't care how good a sermon is. I don't care how good it's preached. That sermon is is preached about God's word and is not God's word. It has no power to save. There's nothing more powerful and no man more eloquent and able to save than the message of Jesus Christ found in his word. None. A sermon can encourage you, but it can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. A disciple of Jesus is not motivated outwardly through a good sermon or a good pastor or something or someone else. A follower of Jesus is motivated inwardly by the power, all-consuming power and sufficiency of Christ in him alone. Verse 11, his word will not return to him empty. And look at at what he does. Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. God's word is like rain. How so? One, true life comes from beyond it. (laughs) Two, true life overcomes death. And three, True life fulfills the purpose of God. We can't defeat his delight. His delight makes us more than conquerors. It's the coolest part. My word in verse 11 sums up all of God's promises that he's already made in Isaiah. And now, now we know that God's faithfulness from the past drives our hope from the future. But here's the thing. His promises not only last, they give us life. We don't keep this gospel hope alive. It keeps us alive. That's how it works. Like the rain, it may take some time for it to come fully to burst forth, but rain never fails, and neither does the promise of God to save sinners like you and me. If he said it, it will happen. And if he said he can do it, he'll do it. See... Look at verses 12 now. Here's what will happen. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst in the song before you. And all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. This is how big that the, God, the gospel is God's rescue of all creation in Christ. It includes with us the entire created order. This is how big it is. It's what it's worth. God's promises is to renew everything that's been broken by sin. And this is where it all comes together. Christ, God incarnate, the God-man, fully God and fully man, closes the gap, pays for the gap, and conquers the gap. Because why? Because God isn't us. God isn't limited like we are. But in the scandal of the gospel in Christ, he becomes like us, like us, taking form of a human being, maintaining deity, maintaining his power, maintaining his godhood, maintaining his position as the second person of the Trinity, working as an orchestra of creation, of salvation for you and I. This is just... God is not like us, is he? That Emmanuel, that the... Peace will come, That is Isaiah 9 tells us. Shows us that God's heart is actually for us and God's love is extended to us. See, I want to make one last point. We find our hope our entire life. You want to know that God's thoughts aren't our thoughts and His ways, not our ways? Where was, baby, where was Jesus born into? Who would have come up with that? Like, just think for a moment. That the savior of the universe, the king of kings, the prince of peace, would be born to a virgin in a dirty, smelly manger, surrounded by animals. We wouldn't have chosen this route, would we? among, why, why, why would God allow for this to happen? Why is it this way? Well, the easy answer is God's thoughts are not our thoughts, and his ways are not our our ways. Why would God allow, why a virgin birth? Well, here's, I'm just going to end like this. Why a virgin birth? Because the virgin birth shows that humanity needs a saving that it cannot bring about for itself. (laughs) this is the coolest part why the virgin birth because it shows us that humanity needs a saving that it cannot bring about for itself it needs to come from outside of us and in fact it implies that the human race couldn't produce its own redeemer because its sin and guilt is so profound that a savior must come from outside of it God must do it himself and in Christ he's done it and he's made it available to you and I And let's personalize this as we end. You can't save you. You cannot save you. And God in the scandal of the gospel rescues us. So you who long for more today, it's found in Christ. We long for him because he came for us. We long for him because he created us. And we long for him because he's the only thing that will ever satisfy you and I. And I'll end like this. C.S. Lewis says this. If you find in yourself a desire that cannot be satisfied by this world, it's because you were made for another. So we're going to do what we always do. We're going to end 30 seconds of open hands. What's, What's he saying to you? Where have you moved beyond? Where have you been externally motivated? Where in your walk with Christ have you just been doing things that people tell you to do instead of actually wanting to do them? Internally, because you're new. And if you don't feel that internal motivation, then go back to the root of your salvation. What's stopping you? It's Isaiah, God through Isaiah tells us that the time is now. Seek him. He's near. And you'll find that every longing is filled. So speak to him, rehear from him, slow down enough just to sit in silence. 30 seconds, and we'll sing and float out of here. Thank you, God, that you and your ways and the way you orchestrate in your sovereignty are not like us. Thank you that they're so big and so beyond that we can spend a lifetime searching them out. And thank you that you have made yourself known through your word and that we can spend a lifetime to figure it out, to search it out, to stay curious and to let your word unpack your word. Thank you, Jesus, for embodying the word. Thank you for coming and rescuing us because we can't rescue ourselves. Thank you for your life, your death, your resurrection. I pray that it would impact every part of our lives. I pray that those who know you, who've confessed, hope in you would grow into what that looks like and actually would grow into who you are through your word and display it in this watching bad news world. Pray for those who don't know you, those who are longing for more. I pray that they would hear and see and experience your compassion for them. Thank you for the gospel. It's good news. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing as we end.